Great to be speaking to you once again. If you're watching this from our Shoreham site, Oasis site, Hove site, Clarendon Centre site, or online, really hope you've been enjoying this term, our series called Buried, where we've been looking at a famous character from the Old Testament, the Bible, the first book, in fact, the book of Genesis, and the story of Joseph. And uh, if you're with us last week, you would have uh, heard about the reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. And this week, we're gonna look at the passage where Joseph's father, Jacob, travels to Egypt and joins uh, Joseph there. When I started to write this message, it was last Monday. And uh, I don't know if you remember the headline on that Monday morning on the news was Israel's large-scale military operation into the West Bank. I know cue quiet intake of breath as a pastor starts talking about Israel, but don't worry, I'm not going to wade into contemporary geopolitical discussion here. I simply mention it because when anything happens in that geography of the world, the world takes notice. In fact, this part of the world has always been significant to world history. And we have, as I've mentioned, been looking at the book of Genesis in this series and in prior series as well. And the geography that is mentioned in Genesis is the countries that we would uh, call in the areas we would describe today as Iraq and Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, the West Bank, Egypt. It's all, it's all there. And we've been following the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And as I mentioned today, we're looking at a chapter, which you'll hear in a moment, where Joseph's father, Jacob, who is renamed Israel, he travels from the land of Canaan or Israel to Egypt. And whenever there's a move of geography, it is one that is significant. Now, if you know your Bible, this move of the Israelites from Canaan to Egypt sets up the situation that's going to be undone in the next book of the Bible, the Exodus. The Exodus, which we've done a series on in the past, is all about how God's people move from Egypt back to Canaan. So really the subtext of this chapter or these couple of chapters that we're looking at today is that even though God is with this family, they're in a land it's a place that they don't belong. They're living in a foreign land and there's various aspects of what they have to encounter there and we see how they navigate that. Joseph, Jacob and the family. We've all probably had experiences like that where we feel like we're somewhere where we don't belong or fish out of water. Maybe for you it is a case of you're from a different country, you've landed in this country and that has been something that you've had to navigate much of your life. Or maybe there's more sort of uh, pedestrian examples of where you've started a new job or just moved to a new town and you feel, oh, I'm not sure I belong here and it's hard to navigate the unfamiliarity of that. Well, that's what Joseph's family had to do. Joseph had been in Egypt for some time now, but his father, Jacob, who's called Israel, and the other sons, they have to navigate. How do they do that? And particularly for them, their family follows a God that the Egyptians don't recognize. There's a spiritual dynamic here. And so by looking at this passage, there's lots of parallels for perhaps Christians. How do we navigate a world that, 
is perhaps hostile to us? How do a Christian navigate a foreign land of a culture that doesn't really want to know about Christianity and is and it maybe perhaps sees Christians as intolerant and out of step on issues of sexual ethics or sees them as backward. Well, let's look in this passage today for some help. How do we navigate a foreign land? We're going to look at Genesis 46 and 47 and hear the passage right now. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I'll make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers, with their flocks and herds, and all that they possess, have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen, and if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields, because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them, from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your household, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus, Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, 
and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. So here we go. I've got four tips for navigating uh, a foreign land that we see in this passage. And I kind of hate to do it, but I'm going to use an old t- uh, preacher's trick of using four points so that all begin with B. <laughs> here we go. The first one is uh, be honest. I, mean, I didn't say they start with a letter B, they start with B. Be honest. The first part of this in, in chapter 47, we have... Joseph and his brothers before Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the known world. And they come before him and they're trying to arrange where they're going to live. And one of the features of it is they're talking about how that they're shepherds. And this has been, this has come up a few times in uh, Genesis, I've been tracing this through, that the Egyptians, and it's not exactly clear why, but they, they hate shepherds. And so Joseph and his brothers have a decision to make. What are we going to say to Pharaoh when he asks what we do? And that's what happens here. It's like you're having an interview, you know, with the most powerful CEO. And the first question is, right, who are you? Well, well, you know, you know, the the people that you hate, that's us. How's the interview going so far? (laughs) That's what the situation is before them. And also just contrast this. Uh, Jacob's ancestors, great-grandfather Abraham, back in Genesis 12. You might remember this when we went through it. There's a time that Abraham moves to Egypt and what he does, he pretends, he, he's afraid, he hides. He, what he does is he pretends that his wife is his sister because he's afraid what might happen if he's honest. And here we have Joseph in contrast to that. Joseph, and his, they're straight up honest. This is who we are. We're shepherds. We know the Egyptians don't like, hate shepherds, but that's who we are. And we've seen this right the way through Joseph's life. He's a man of honesty and integrity. And in the short term, that doesn't go well. He's honest about these dreams he's had with his brothers and they chuck him in a pit. He lives with integrity when he gets to Potiphar's house and it ends him up in prison. But now... God has vindicated him. God has raised him up. And God's favor is going before him. And Joseph and his brother, they're just honest. This is who we are. We are shepherds. And the reason he is honest is he trusts God with the outcome. He knows that God is the one who is in control and he rests in that and he's able to be honest. He doesn't have to hide who he is because he's trusting God's hand on his life. And that's a lesson for us is if we're navigating, how do we navigate, you know, how can I, can I be honest about being a Christian? Maybe my workplace, maybe with people I know. And we might think, well, if, I, if I'm honest, if I, if I speak up for something that's true or if I share that I'm a Christian or if I you know, disagree with someone because my values is just different, what's going to happen? If, if I do that, they'll reject me or things will go badly for me. And there's a temptation to hide. There's a temptation not to be honest. But Joseph doesn't hide. He's honest because he trusts God. God's in control. And sometimes we play out, we think, well, if I, if I say this, if I'm, honest, if I'm honest about being a Christian, then this will happen. Well, do you know that? When we're dishonest, 
is fa- we're failing to trust God. God's in control. When we're, on, we're, when we're honest, we're trusting God with an outcome of a scenario. And that's what Joseph does here. Who holds your life? Joseph, his honesty before Pharaoh provides God an opportunity to vindicate him and show him favor. And he does. It goes well. The conversation goes well. We're called to be honest like Joseph is honest. The second part of chapter 47 that we've just read, we've had Joseph, some of his brothers before Pharaoh, and then Jacob, Joseph's father, comes before Pharaoh. And it's a bit of a comical, it seems, at first reading uh, incident. We have Jacob, he he sounds like an old curmudgeon. (laughs) Pharaoh speaks to him and he says, how old are you? Seeing, I assume that he looks quite old. And Jacob says, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. (laughs) What, What a response. Reminds me of that old old saying about life, you know, life is full of loneliness and misery and suffering and unhappiness. And it's all over much too quickly. <laughs> Jacob it describes here, he's 130 as well. And I don't know what he means here by saying his life has been short. I mean, it, perhaps it is short compared to uh, Abraham, who was a, lived to 175, and Isaac, who lived to 180. Now, Okay, the question of the ages of people in Genesis and what they refer to, and I think I'm just going to leave that question for another day. We were talking about a time period thousands of years ago. Who knows what happened with human life at that stage? Let's not get into that. Let's not get sidetracked by that. The most important thing I want to draw out of this passage is what Jacob does. What does he do when he meets Pharaoh? This powerful man most powerful king in all their land. Well, in verse 7 and in verse 10, it says, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And it's easy to quickly read past that. Oh, he blessed him, you know, is is, is that just a greeting or a formality? Or did Pharaoh sneeze? God bless you. Now, there's, there's much more significance to it than that. And in the passage that we just had read out there, I included just the beginning of chapter 46 because it's really helpful to see the context. Jacob goes to Egypt and as he does so, God appears to him, speaks to him and says, 46 verse 3, I will make you a great nation. What's going on there? God is reminding Jacob of the covenant promises of God's blessing that is on him and his family that have been passed down through these generations because many chapters before when God first called Abraham in chapter 12 it said God said now the Lord said to Abram I will make you a great nation you see it's the same language and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So when Jacob rocks up to Pharaoh's palace and he's before Pharaoh, he understands that he's there to bring God's blessing. Through you, all the families of the earth shall be, all of them, whether people recognize me or not, 
says the Lord. I want, I want to use you to be a blessing to them. It's like even on Jacob's worst days, he still knows that he is on this earth to carry God's blessing to others. Do you know that? If you're, if you're a Christian, you're someone who's carrying that promise. And do you live according to that? Do you recognize that God has called you to carry his blessing to the world? to people that know him, to people that don't know him, to the world. Through Jesus, if our faith is in Jesus, we inherit this promise. And that's, this idea is continued right the way through into the New Testament as well. Jesus says, love your enemies, people that are against you. Love your neighbor and also love your enemies. Your blessing of others is to be like God's blessing, generous lavish. Romans 12 verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. God's people are on God's earth to bring God's blessing. It's that simple. Even in a foreign land, even in a time that doesn't recognize and doesn't want anything to do with God's people, perhaps. Even in contexts that are hostile to Christians, even when Christians and God's people are opposed or persecuted. Who are we to be? We are to be a people of blessing. How do we navigate a hostile environment? It's not easy to be a Christian. Do we retreat and hold back and hide? No, we're honest about who we are, but we also step forward and we're, we're here to be a blessing. Do you, do you walk into your workplace with that attitude? I'm here to bless people. I'm here to help people. I'm here to serve people. I'm here to show God's kindness and, and, and show people what God is like and be loving and listen, and listen to people and have time for people. What does it look like for you to be a blessing in the context that God has put you in, in the workplace, in your family life, with friendship groups? What does it look like to be a blessing? Not, not gossiping about people, not being a grumpy people, not complaining all the time, but working well, being conscientious. How can I be a blessing to the people that I work with, to my boss? And, and this is the Christian mandate. This is who we are to be. To, yes, we want to share the good news of Jesus, but we want to live that out in everything that we do. To tell the good news, to be the good news. It's not just something, this is something, oh, we ought to be. It's something that God's people have always been. Of course, there are people in your life that's difficult to bless. And you might think, oh, well, you know, what about my boss? My, my boss is so difficult. Well, it's not conditional on what they're like. It's who you are in God. In, in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is talking about loving your enemies, he, say, he says, for God makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. God is lavish with his goodness. He's made this whole wonderful world for everyone to enjoy. Everyone benefits from God's common grace. He doesn't just bless certain people. He blesses everyone. That's what God's like. It's not conditional on behavior. And here we have Jacob coming before Pharaoh. Pharaoh is not interested and his God. But Jacob, well, I'm just going to bless you anyway. I want to see favor on you. God is lavish with his goodness. I'm going to share that with you and bless you. That's how we navigate. We're honest. We also live to be a blessing. Thirdly, third B, be peaceful. In the third part of the passage here, 
we have this contrast between the horrendous famine that is hitting into even Egypt from this point. And then Jacob and Joseph and their family settling in the land of Goshen, which is within Egypt. Now we have to remember, if you were with us a few weeks ago, God has raised up Joseph into this position of being, I guess, prime minister of Egypt in order to bring salvation, in order to save people's lives and to navigate through the famine that's going to come. Joseph gets a heads up through God's uh, revelation that famine is going to come and that he uses godly wisdom to administrate and to look after uh, the people, especially uh, his family in this time of crisis. But we see even in this chapter how things get so bad that the Egyptians even end up having to sell themselves in order to have food to survive. And again, that detail, just notice that, okay? It's setting up this scenario that later is going to be flipped. The Egyptians become slaves. God's people are blessed. And then when we get to Exodus, oof, God's people are slaves and the Egyptians are the ones that are persecuting them. Just interesting to note that. But Joseph and his family, they choose the land of Goshen. Described as the best of the land, as a good land. But it's also geographically on the edge of Egypt. It's the eastern side, the, the, the side that's closest to Canaan, where they, where they really uh, belong. But it's also, the commentators say, away from the sort of main cities and the main central points of the, uh, where the Egyptians would be. And so they're sort of putting themselves off to one side. They, they don't want to be a provocative. <laughs> they don't want their presence to be a confrontation to the Egyptians. They wisely choose to live in Goshen where they can exist in a peaceable way, even within Egypt. And it reminds me of what it says in First Timothy 2. Christians are to pray that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And here we are again, wisdom. How do we live in a foreign land? How do we live in a time and culture that might not accept the Christian way of thinking and doing? Well, we're to live peaceably. We're not to pick fights. And that's an important point to underline, and especially in a time where there is hostility. There's a culture war, people say, going on, played out on Social media, politics is particularly divided and increasingly tribal. And the country, there's a lot of hate going around. There's a lot of ways that people are really divided. There's a debate. There's much vitriol. How do we navigate that? Well, we must remember Jesus called us to be peacemakers. We're a people of peace. Now, that doesn't mean that we compromise and say, well, we just need to avoid conflict at all costs, or we'll just go along with what anyone has to say. No, it's, no, I've already said, we, we're honest about who we are. And there is a place to stand up for what is right and true, and speak the truth, and stand to protect good things that are blessings to us. And of course, you know, on 
on certain issues a Christian and, you know, to be a Bible-believing Christian, you know, in this day and age to say that you know, women are women and men are men and marriage is between one man and one woman and sex is for marriage. That's what the Bible says. That's what we believe. That's who we are. We must be honest and clear about that. We're not looking to compromise on those things. And we know those things put us out of stem with others, but we must we'd say those things, but we do so with with peace in our hearts and seeking to be a blessing even despite the differences we have with the culture around us. You know, in a, in a few weeks' time, there'll, there'll be a pride parade coming right through our, our city. What do, what do we do about that? It's, it's, not, it's not what we, we believe in. But, but we mustn't see that as, as the opposition, <laughs> that they're the enemy. No. No, we're not at war with our city. It's not our place to, oh, if they're saying that, we've got to organise a counter-protest. No, no, the, there's wisdom here. We live, pe live peaceably. It says that, Romans 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We know who we are. We know whose we are. We know what is true and what is right. And asked about the hope that we have, we'll say this is what we believe and this is who we are and we'll be honest and clear about that. And at the same time, even in a city and a culture and a time that doesn't understand that and mis misunderstands it and might have animosity towards it, no, we're going to return that with love and with peace and seeking to serve. And so we live in the center of this city that celebrates so much stuff that we can get behind and celebrate. But yet we listen to our city. What, where's the need? And we have our care for a city where we're saying, where is the need in this city? We want to help and serve. We are people of peace. We are people of blessing. God's called us to be a blessing, not to fight on these issues, but to serve and to love and seek the welfare. And that's, what we're, that's how we're trying to navigate. We're in the world. We're not of the world. We're a distinct people. But the, our dis <laughs> distinctiveness is the reason that we love and we serve and we do so with peace. It's how we navigate it. It's how Joseph and Jacob navigate. They're in Goshen. They're in, the, in Egypt, but they're seeking to be peaceful. They're not going to try and change Egypt. You know, let's live peaceful lives. But they're not just peaceful lives. They're, they're fruitful lives. And in a time of famine, this is the final B, be fruitful. <laughs> Be fruitful. God's people were fruit. Did you notice that in the text there? Chapter 47, verse 27. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. How? <laughs> How? It doesn't make any sense. They've come to Egypt and there's a famine going on. And the one thing it says about them in the land of Goshen, they were fruitful. Not just they struggled through and were okay when everyone struggled a little bit more. They were fruitful and multiplied. How is that possible? In the natural, it's not possible. It's, it's, it's supernatural. It's supernatural. And again, the chapter before, God says to Jacob, I myself will go down with you to Egypt. That's the explanation. How can this family be fruitful in a time of famine? Because God went with them. Because God went with them. And this is, this is the main point. This is the main thing. 
I've said it can be hard to be a Christian in this day and age, to live without compromise, to live honestly, to be a blessing, to live peaceably. And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian yet and you're wondering, well, if, if I become a Christian, what will my life be like? This sounds a bit of a struggle. I, I'm going to have to give up. Maybe I'll be shunned by friends and maybe I have to give up things that I enjoy and, and, and maybe things will be a struggle. And I, I, to become a Christian, you have to give up control of your life. And that's, that's not easy. And, and what opposition might I face? And there might be cost for me. Well, yeah, yeah, there is that. But you get to do life with the God of the universe. That's, that's the deal. That's what it's about. If, you, if you're struggling through or wondering, is this worth it? I, I want you to hear what God says to Jacob here in chapter 46. I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Do, friends, do not be afraid to be a Christian in 2023, for there I will make you into a great nation. You, we can expect the blessing of God. I myself will go with you. You see, here's the thing. God doesn't call us to, as those of us who are Christians, to live a miserable life or to struggle through. He calls us to be fruitful. He calls us to be fruitful. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come down to this world. He has died for sin on a cross. He's risen again to give new life. And he has sent his spirit to live in us. And what type of life did Jesus say that we will live as we put our faith in him and receive the spirit, a fruitful life? John 15, Jesus says, I have appointed you to be fruitful. Jacob was not sent from Canaan into Egypt for his ruin, but so that he might be fruitful. And it's the same for us. God's not appointed us for famine. He's appointed us for fruitfulness. Now, you might say, really? Well, my life's got, how can I be fruitful in the season that I'm in? You know, things are really tough right now. Maybe your life is quite hard right now. You're a Christian. Maybe you're struggling through. Maybe you've got pressure at work and pressure at home and ill health and financial challenges, relationships difficult. And that could have been Jacob's perspective. God says, you're right, you're going down to Egypt. And he's like, oh, that doesn't sound fun. That sounds like a struggle. That circumstance, Egypt, how am I going to navigate that? But with eyes of faith, we can see what God is doing. God takes Jacob, brings him to Egypt. And because God goes with him, what Egypt, this land of Goshen, it becomes Eden. <laughs> Do you see that? Fruitful and multiply. Where does that come from? Ch Genesis chapter 1, God put his people in a garden, and that's what he says, be fruitful and multiply. It's the same phrase right there, be fruitful, because God is there, this famine, desert. Can you, can you imagine that? There's this, this famine everywhere in the land of Egypt and beyond that, and you've got this little land of Goshen with it. It's just an oasis of fruitfulness, because God's there, because his people are there, and his spirit is with them. 
His presence, God walking with his people in the cool of the day. It's Egypt, it's Eden. It's this, it's this oasis in the desert of famine. And brothers and sisters, this is what the Christian life is like. How could Christians live in a foreign land? Because God is with us. His spirit is with us. Famine occurs because there's no water. There's no rainfall. What does Jesus say? Jesus said, John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus says, whoever abides in me will bear much fruit. The fruit doesn't come with God. The fruit doesn't come from the externals. It doesn't come from the circumstance. It doesn't come from the context. We can be in Egypt. We can be wherever. But there's fruitfulness because God does something from within us. And if you're worried if you can live a fruitful life in a foreign land or a time that things are season, that things are difficult and pressured for you, you need to understand what Jacob understand, gets understand here. With God, there's fruitfulness that comes from within. We are living in Goshen. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. And that means we're not defined by the world. We're not limited by the world. We're not bound by the sinfulness of the world. We have the power and the presence of God within us. And when everything changes, when we recognize that, when we live according to the Spirit and the Spirit's work within us, Jacob, he walks into the land of his enemies and he says, this is who we are. I know you hate us, but this is who we are. He's not afraid. He walks into a palace and he says, oh yeah, you're the Pharaoh. I'm here to bless you. <laughs> he knows who he is. He knows that God is with him. He walks into a famine and he said, this is going to be a fruitful season for me because God is with him. Now, Jacob's life was no picnic. He said if things are difficult, but that's the, that's the situation. God can bring about fruitfulness even in seasons that feel like a famine. And you, many of you experience this. You, have, you don't have much money, but your family is beautiful. Your family is fruitful. You, you don't have great jobs perhaps, but you pray and you see God answer your prayers. There's fruitfulness in your life. Maybe some of you, you're, you're struggling because you, your health is bad. But you know what? Even in the midst of that, you have learned to abide in Jesus. Jesus and no fruitfulness and some of you have faced tragedy in your life but you have fruitful ministry in your life because it's the work of the spirit because your life has not been defined by the circumstance it's defined by the spirit of God at work in you we can expect God's spirit to lead us into fruitfulness because he's with us and so I ask you, are you abiding? Jesus said, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. That's, that's not conditional on circumstance. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. My spirit within you. Jesus says, I've appointed you to bear much fruit. He has not appointed you for famine. He has appointed you for fruitfulness. Abide in him. Seek him. It's a work of the Spirit. Not by might, 
nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's a different economy. <laughs> it's fruitfulness in the time of famine. Jesus has died. Jesus, Jesus has come. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen so that he can live inside of us by his spirit and bring about fruitfulness in our life. Are you living in the good of that? Do you know the work of the spirit in your life? If your trust is in Jesus and you, are, you, are you thirsty for more of the work of his spirit? Living, it, it's, it can, living in Egypt can be tough. But by the spirit of God, our Egypt can be Eden's. And we can be fruitful for him. Let's come to him for that today. Let's believe him for that today. Holy Spirit, come fill us afresh that we might live fruitful lives for you, for your glory. Amen.